shoppers in the uh, audience. Have you ever found something incredibly valuable at a garage sale that you, you paid very little for, but turns out it was worth a good bit? You, some of you may have luck, lucked into such success, but probably not the success that rich Norwegian uh, found uh, some years ago. He was a resident of Fresno, California, and he purchased two boxes containing 65 glass plates of photographic negatives. The photographs were of Yosemite National Park and some scenes around San Francisco. He paid $45 for the two boxes. He kept those two boxes stored under his pool table for four years before he decided to investigate them. And upon investigation, some experts came to the conclusion that those glass photographic negatives were created more than 80 years earlier by Ansel Adams, the great, iconic American photographer of the West. And those experts appraised those glass plates as being worth upwards of $200 million. A $45 purchase worth $200 plus million. The point of that story is that some things are worth more than you realize. And this morning, as we continue our study of male, male spiritual leadership, we're going to address a role that I believe is more valuable than we tend to give it credit. Now, if you recall, last week we talked about the role of an elder, shepherd, overseer, all terms applied to that role. And we talked about its importance, and we, we, we talked about how it's a role that is God specifically assigned to men. And this week, we're going to talk about the one other role in the life of the church that God specifically assigned to men, and that's the role of deacon. Now, when I came to Buford in September of 2016, there were 27 deacons serving this congregation. A month after I got here, uh, see, seven more deacons were added to the total group, bringing that total to 34. Three years later, we added six more deacons, which is a total of 40 deacons that had served during the time that I've been here, which is a little less than six years. But today, there are only 25 deacons. Of the 27 that were here when I started, only 17 are still serving today. And of the 13 that have been added since my arrival, only eight remain. So when, since I've arrived here, we've added 13 deacons and lost 14. That's not a great trend. More importantly, that's not a sustainable trend. Especially when you consider the fact that of the 25 elders in the history of this congregation... Almost half of them served as a deacon before they became an elder. And of the current eight serving elders, only two of them weren't a deacon before they, arrived, before they became an elder here. Weren't a deacon of this congregation before they became an elder here. I think we need to understand the importance of deacons. The value of deacons. Because oftentimes it's a role that's underappreciated, undervalued, overlooked 
But deacons are vitally important to the church. And this morning, if you're numbered among the 25 in these pictures, number one, some of you need to update your picture. Number two, some of you need to learn how to smile and make us a more welcoming congregation. And number three, thank you. Thank you for serving as a deacon. But let's talk about deacons for a moment this morning. What does the Bible say about deacons? First thing I want you to understand is that a deacon is a appointed servant in the church. Now, our English term deacon only appears five times in the New Testament. You'll find it in Philippians chapter 1 and verse 1, and then four times in 1 Timothy chapter 3. But the word deacon, it comes from a Greek word, diakonos. That means deacon is an English transliteration of a Greek term. The Greek term diakonos was a term used in ancient Greek to refer to couriers or those who deliver things for others to those who are doing something for someone who gave the instructions, or even to waiters or those who attended to persons in household chores. So the term translated deacon possesses the general meaning of a servant or a helper or someone who ministers to the needs of others. And even though the English term deacon only appears five times in our New Testaments, the Greek term diakonos or diakoneo, from which we get our English term, it appears more than 60 times in the Greek New Testament. The majority of the times this word appears is simply translated servant or service. In fact, Jesus is called a diakonos in Romans chapter 15 and verse 8, and Jesus personally declared in Mark chapter 10 and verse 45 that the Son of Man came to be a diakonos. The apostles are told in Mark chapter 10 and verse 43 that whoever would be great among you must be your diakonos. Paul referred to himself as a diakonos in passages like 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 5, Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 7, Colossians chapter 1 verse 23 and 25. Paul referred to his co-workers as diakonos. Apollos in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 5, Tychicus in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 21, and Colossians chapter 4 and verse 7, Epaphras in Colossians chapter 1 and verse 7, and Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 6. Paul even referred to civil magistrates as diakonos in Romans chapter 13 and verse 4. And everyone who follows Christ is identified as his diakonos in John chapter 12 and verse 26. Now, why did I feel the need to bring up all of those passages? It's because at the end of service, we're going to have a pop quiz, and we're going to see how many of you are paying attention. Now, the real reason I bring that up is we need to understand that this term that's transliterated as deacon is a much broader term than just a deacon. It's the term for servant, and it's applied to several different individuals throughout the New Testament. That's important because this term is used in a general sense to refer to anyone who is God's worker or servant. But it is also used to refer to a group of men who serve the church in some kind of special or official role. The context of the passage dictates whether or not diakonos is referring to a servant in general or to a deacon in particular. And we need to understand that difference. 
And there's really only two passages that context dictates this term is being used in the official role of a deacon. The first passage is Philippians chapter 1 and verse 1, if you'll turn there with me very quickly. Philippians chapter 1 and verse 1, it's the address of Paul's letter to the Philippians. After he introduces himself as the author, he turns and says that this letter is to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons. In this unique greeting, this one-of-a-kind greeting, Paul identified two groups of readers. He referred to the church at large, which he identified as the saints. He's referring to everyone in that congregation, the saints of the church of Philippi. But then he also specifically identifies those who have official roles in the congregation. Namely, the overseers, which is another term for elders, and deacons. And the fact that Paul distinguished not just the overseers, not just the role of a shepherd, but also the deacons, implies that this was a special and an official role within the church. We're aided in this understanding by the passage we read for our scripture reading, 1 Timothy chapter 3, particularly verses 8 through 13. It's there, as you may have noticed, that we are given a list of qualifications that a person must meet in order to become a deacon, in order to receive this official title, this official role, this official appointment within the local congregation. And these qualifications come immediately after the qualifications for elders, and therefore it indicates a special and official role within the church. And so, Here's the big takeaway from point number one. A deacon is someone who serves because that's what the term literally means. That's what diakonos literally means. But since everyone is capable of being a servant, the term deacon came to be associated with a very specific appointed position within the church. And understanding that distinction is necessary so that we don't assume that everyone can be a deacon. You see, it's important for us to understand that a deacon is a specially appointed servant in the church, but it's also important for us to understand that the role of a deacon is not for everyone. Look at that 1 Timothy 3 passage, and you'll see this list of qualifications. Nine qualifications, in fact. This is the only passage in the entire New Testament that, I, that gives a list of qualifications for a deacon. But the chief qualification, and the reason we are studying this today, is that in order to be a deacon, you must be male. Just like with the study of elders last week, the role of a deacon includes the qualification that's stated in 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 12, that a deacon must be the husband of one wife. As I mentioned last week, when we considered a similar phrase that appeared in the qualifications of elders back in verse 2 of 1 Timothy 3, the Greek literally says that a deacon must be a one-woman man. Thus, the Bible is gender-specific, not only when it comes to elders, but also when it comes to deacons. Now, some of you might be trying to outsmart me right now. Usually, that's not very hard 
But some of you are probably thinking through some passages right now that might undermine my point. Maybe you're thinking about verse 11 right here in 1 Timothy chapter 3. 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 11 addresses women or wives. What? In 1 Timothy chapter 3, after starting a conversation about the qualifications of deacons, all of a sudden it's interrupted with qualifications for wives? What is Paul doing here? Now, some people, some people look at this and understand that the word translated wives is the generic Greek term that can also be translated women. And this has led some to contend that Paul is referencing female deacons or deaconesses rather than deacons' wives. There are a couple of strong reasons as to why it is necessary to conclude that Paul is referring to the wives of deacons rather than women as deacons. First, the statement in 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 11 that addresses women or wives is sandwiched between instructions to deacons. In other words, the verse immediately before this one, before verse 11, and the verse immediately after verse 11 show that Paul is continuing a line of thought that is focused on deacons. That seems to imply that Paul's thought process hasn't changed yet. That from the outset of verse 8 to the conclusion of verse 13, everything he's writing has to do with deacons. If you go back to the start of 1 Timothy chapter 3, Paul presented the uninterrupted case of qualifications for elders from verse 1 through verse 7. And now as he transitions to verse 8 and brings up deacons, it makes the most contextual sense for him to be presenting the uninterrupted case for deacons, which includes the caveat of qualifications for their wives. It's been contended that maybe the reason wives are included with deacons rather than elder and not elders is because the women may have a, a more active part in the ministry of the work of the deacons. I don't know if that's true. That's just one supposition that's out there. But the most contextual sense leans in favor of Paul presenting an un uninterrupted case for deacons from verse 8 through verse 13, and that included the role of the wives in verse 11. Additionally, it should be noted that if 1 Timothy chapter 3 and 11, verse 11 was meant to be a reference to deaconesses, why then did Paul have such fewer qualifications for them than he did for elders and deacons? See, if you look back at verses 1 through 7, Paul spends seven verses identifying at least 14 different qualifications for elders which relegate the role of an elder to the bare minimum of a married man who is not a recent convert and is a father and is father to a child or children that are baptized believers. That's the bare minimum qualification that you can bear out of verses 1 through 7. And then if you look at verses 8 through 13, and, and you'll notice that 
Paul identifies, or spends, I should say, five verses identifying nine different qualifications for deacons, which relegate this role to, at the bare minimum, a married man who is a father. Bare minimum qualification, a married man who is a father. But then in verse 11, if Paul is referring to a special role of female deacons, then all he does is give us one verse identifying four qualifications for a position that has no bare minimum. As the Truth For Today commentary on the book of 1 Timothy points out, an 18-year-old unmarried female who had just been converted can meet the qualifications listed in verse 11. And the point is that it makes the most logical sense for Paul to be referring to deacons' wives rather than female deacons when you consider those facts. So when we look at 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 11, I do not believe that the text warrants consideration of deaconesses. I believe it's referring to the wives of deacons. And I believe that makes the most contextual and logical sense. But you may not be worried about 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 11 as you try to outsmart me on this point that the deacon role is not for everyone meaning that it's only for males. You might be thinking of Romans chapter 16 and verse 1. If you go there, you'll find out this passage. Uh, Romans chapter 16 and verse 1. I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church at Sincrea. Now at first glance, that passage may not grab your attention, but if you were to read it from the New International Version, the New Living Translation, or even the Revised Standard Version, you'll discover that the word servant has been replaced with the term deaconess. So depending on the translation you use, Romans 16 and verse 1 may refer to Phoebe as a deaconess. But you need to remember that we had an earlier conversation in this lesson. Uh, sorry, conversation is the wrong word. I had an earlier monologue in this lesson. Where diakonos is used in a general sense to refer to one who serves, and in a technical sense to refer to an official position in the church. And I've already noted the two passages that, based on context, imply the technical usage of diakonos in reference to an official position within the church. That's Philippians chapter 1, 1 Timothy chapter 3. Romans chapter 16 and verse 1 does not fall among those technical uses. I think Dr. Dave Miller of Apologetics Press summarized this well in an article entitled Female Leadership in the Church. He, here's what he writes. He says, Nothing in the context of Romans chapter 16 and verse 1 warrants the conclusion that Paul was describing Phoebe as an official appointee, a deaconess. Paul's phrase, our sister, designates her church membership, and servant specifies the special efforts she extended to the church in Sincrea, where she was an active, caring member. Being a servant of the church no more implies a formal appointee than does the same expression in Colossians chapter 1 and verse 25 where Paul is said to be the church's servant. You see, when you really study this passage, and, or these passages, 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 11, Romans chapter 16 and verse 1, when you really study the passages that some will use to contend for the acceptance of female deacons, you'll quickly discover that they are flimsy at best when held up to close scrutiny. Therefore, we must once again assert, as we did with the role of elders, that God, according to His divine prerogative, has chosen to assign the unique 
and specially appointed role of deacons in the church to men specifically who meet a certain set of qualifications outlined in 1 Timothy chapter 3. And men, I shared with you some statistics last week about the declining number of men in the church. And I pointed out that the, that means we have less of a pool of candidates from which we can pull to serve as elders. But it also means we have less of a pool to pull from for deacons as well. That means we as Christian men need to step up and lead. And stepping up to serve as a deacon is more important than you may realize. And that brings us to our third and final point for this lesson. That is that deacons exist to help with prioritization. For this, I need you to turn over to the book of Acts, to the sixth chapter. We're going to look at the first seven verses of Acts chapter 6. Don't worry, I'm not walking out, I'm not leaving. I need a tissue. Acts chapter 6, beginning in verse 1. What you need to understand is that the church in Jerusalem had a benevolence program from which they provided food for widows. And this was a laudable ministry, and it was in keeping with the church's spirit of benevolence, but it had a problem. It wasn't being run rather efficiently. In fact, there's going to be a, a complaint that arises, a justifiable complaint at that. And a complaint arises that some widows aren't receiving their fair portion. And the apostles heard the complaint and responded to the complaint. Look at how they decided to fix the problem. It starts in verse 2 of Acts chapter 6. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit and wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Now, in the end, seven men were chosen to take on the administration of this ministry. But the reason we turn to this passage is because of what the apostles accomplished by appointing these men. Did you pay attention to their reason the apostles appointed men? Why they went to the church and said, select some men. The reason they did that, they said, it's because it is not right that we should give up preaching the Word of God to serve tables. Now, instead of saying it is not right, the New American Standard and the New King James says it is not desirable. The point the apostles were making here is not that it would be a sin for them to serve tables, that it was wrong for them to serve tables. The point they are trying to make is that it would not be pleasing to God for them to stop doing what they're doing in order to serve tables. Namely, to stop preaching, to stop proclaiming the good news. As one commentator said, this is a priority choice about observing the call of God versus a moral choice of right and wrong. The apostles are prioritizing what God has called them to do, which was to proclaim the good news. And they reaffirmed that focus when in verse 4, after instructing the church to pick out qualified men who they could appoint to this duty, they said, we will devote ourselves to prayer and ministry of the Word. Now, 
I have to admit that this text doesn't reference apostles or deacons at all. But what it does do is it does talk about the leaders of the church at that time asking the church to select some men based on some qualifications that could oversee a function in the church so that the leaders could retain their focus where it ought to be. And so I think Acts chapter 6 does set forth a principle for elders and deacons, and that is the principle that those tasked with spiritual accountability in the church need to focus on their primary task. And when it comes to the leaders of the church today, what is their primary responsibility? The primary task of the leaders of the church, the shepherds, the elders, is to watch out for the souls of those under their oversight, as Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 17 says. The leaders of the church today have the primary task of shepherding the flock of God that is among them, 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 2. That's their chief responsibility. But in order for the elders to shepherd, they need help. The leaders of the church, excuse me, the leaders of the church today need men to assume some of the day-to-day administrative responsibilities. And that's where deacons come into play. Deacons essentially relieve the shepherds of some of the administrative minutia so that the shepherds can focus on what really matters. I like the way Dan Chambers summarized the relationship between deacons and elders in his book, Churches in the Shape of Scripture. He said, The elders direct the affairs of the church, to use the language of 1 Timothy chapter 5 and verse 17, and the deacons are the trusted servants of the church who assist the elders in carrying out their work. And this means that the work of deacons is not superfluous or inconsequential. This means that deacons are an essential part of the kingdom's success. Because if deacons aren't doing their job, the shepherds will inevitably have to pick up the slack, which in turn presents them from, prevents them from focusing on what their primary responsibility is. If the deacons aren't doing their job, guess who ends up doing it? The shepherds who have a different job they're supposed to be doing. So deacons could be viewed as protectors of the eldership because they protect the shepherds from getting bogged down with less important matters. We need to recognize just how valuable, just how important that is because what the deacons do is allow the elders to maintain their focus on the one thing they can do. Because only shepherds, only elders... can do what elders do. Only elders can lead the flock in the way that they've been assigned to do. If the elders aren't able to focus on feeding and nurturing and protecting the flock, then who will be? And I believe the end result of deacons doing their job so that shepherds can focus on their job will be the same as it was in Acts chapter 6. Just look at verse 7 of Acts chapter 6. Once the apostles appointed these seven men to handle the benevolence program and they were able to focus on preaching and praying, the result was that the word of God continued to increase and the number of the disciples 
disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. I have come to the conclusion that where you find a healthy church, you're not just going to find a healthy eldership, you're going to find a healthy deaconship. Because that means the deacons are doing their job, allowing the elders to do their job, and the church is just going to grow. See, I've used this illustration before, but I found it just so appropriate today as we talk about deacons. It makes me think about the Tuskegee Airmen. In fact, it was just a, a little over a year ago since I, I spoke about these guys. But back in World War II, the Tuskegee Airmen were the first African-American squadron that went to Europe to fly with the Allied bombers. Their mission, their job, their responsibility was to escort bombers to their targets. But their assignment was unique. See, prior to their arrival, the bomber escorts would have to break formation and fight the enemy aircraft that were attacking the bombers, which left the bombers at risk. And so the Tuskegee Airmen's responsibility was to never abandon the bombers, to stay with the bombers the entire time so that those bomber planes weren't open to attack. The Tuskegee Airmen flew in 179 bomber escort missions. They encountered enemy aircraft on 35 of those missions. But they only lost bombers on seven missions. In all, a total of 27 bombers were lost under the protection of the Tuskegee Airmen. And you might think, oh, well, that's a lot. But before they started flying with those bombers... 46 bombers had been lost. The point is that when you flew with the Tuskegee Airmen, you could focus on the task at hand because you knew those guys had your back. They were your protective service. And in the same way, that's what deacons should be for the shepherds of the church. Their protective service. And so as I draw this to a close... Let me speak to you deacons for just a second. The 25 men here who have been appointed to that position. If you're currently a deacon, number one, thank you. Thank you for being willing to serve. Thank you for being willing to take on that responsibility. Number two, if you're not protecting the shepherd's focus, you're not doing your job. If you're a deacon and you're not fulfilling your responsibility so that the elders don't have to do it, then you're not doing your job. And so I challenge you to consider whether or not as a current deacon you're allowing the elders to be focused on shepherd's work. If you're a man in this congregation and you're qualified to be a deacon, let me speak to you. We have a current trend where we've lost more deacons in six years than we've added. That shouldn't be a problem. Because we should be a church of men who are willing to step up and take on the role of a deacon. So if you're a qualified man for a position of a deacon, I encourage you to make yourself available for that role. To consider serving the, in the Lord's kingdom in a capacity that would help his shepherds do their job. And if you're here today and you're not qualified to be a deacon, 
either because you're not a male or because you are a male who does not meet the qualifications. Then take a look at those qualifications once again. And the ones that you can control, consider whether or not they're manifested in your life. Qualifications like being dignified, not being double-tongued, not greedy for dishonest gain, holding the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. Does that describe you? Because every one of us who serves the Lord ought to live up to those standards regardless. This morning we continue our study of male leadership in the church because we're always going to need deacons. And it's our objective today to one, appreciate the role, two, to challenge those men among us who either serve as deacons or could be deacons to step up to the role and to be reminded that God has expectations for all of us when it comes to our character, when it comes to our standard of living. And so uh, we issue this challenge to live according to those qualifications because God put them in there for a reason. And this morning as we're here, we offer the Lord's invitation because there may be some among us who have never become a, a child of His, who have never put on Christ in baptism, who have never been born again, and we invite you to make that decision today so that your sins can be washed away by the blood of Jesus in the waters of baptism. Or maybe that you're here and you're broken and you're struggling. You may be a Christian already, but life's thrown some curveballs and you don't know how to handle them then we invite you to let us help. If you have any need to respond to the invitation today, then won't you come while together we stand and sing?